coming back. We're going to go deep, so wake up, and I think you'll enjoy it. Um, we want to talk a little bit about the deeper meaning of Hanukkah. And as you guys know, every Jewish holiday has a paradigm, which is basically as follows. They tried to kill us, we won, let's eat. But that's every Jewish holiday except for one. And that's Hanukkah, actually. Maybe not just for one. But Hanukkah, the Greeks did not try to kill us. So why were we so upset? Why did we rage war against the Greeks? I want to review the story briefly, but the reality is, is that Hanukkah was not a battle for our lives. It was a battle for our identity as Jews. Exactly what we've been talking about tonight. So let's review a little bit of the history. Alexander the Great conquers most of the world, all the way from Greece to India and everything in between, including Israel. And Alexander was very good to the Jews. He did not destroy Jerusalem. He allowed the Jews to remain autonomous. After he died, the Greek Empire was split into three, and the Israel fell under the control of the Seleucids, the Syrian Greeks. Now, the Greeks did not seek to impose to kill everyone. Rather, they wanted to spread their culture to the world. The Hellenistic culture was the in-culture of the time. It was the most sophisticated, most advanced, most, most cultured culture in the world. And yet, the Jews resisted. However, there was a large number of Jews who said, no, we want to be Greek. We want to, we want to join in Greek affairs. We want to build a gymnasium next to the temple. We want to bring Greek gods into the temple in Jerusalem. And a small group of rabbis said, no, we do not want any Greek culture to infiltrate into our Jewish values. And the question is, why? What were they so upset about? What was the main issue with Greece and Greek ideology? So before we explore that question, I want to ask you guys, what are we celebrating on Hanukkah? What miracle initiated the entire Hanukkah story? Who wants to give a guess? What's Hanukkah all about? Anyone? The, uh, the miracle is all about, Rabbi, that the temple was destroyed, found one jar of oil, it was only supposed to last for one night, but it lasted for eight months. Thank you, Alex. And that is the story that we all heard in Hebrew school or growing up, that the Hanukkah story is about the miracle of the candles that miraculously burned for eight days. And unfortunately, Alex, as with so much things that we learn as children, that is incorrect. That is not what we're celebrating on Hanukkah, and I will show you why. Please follow me as we look at some slides. Okay, this talk is called The Eighth Dimension. We're going to explore the eighth dimension according to Kabbalah, Jewish mysticism. What is the significance of this holiday after all? So we are told that the miracle was about the candles, but let's look at the history. A group of a small army of untrained rabbis and high priests, Kohanim, decide to take up a war against the most powerful nation in the world. 
1,200 rabbis against 40,000 trained mercenary soldiers. You guys saw the 300? Right? Those guys. 1,200 rabbis against, 12,000 rabbis against 40,000 Greeks. And the Greeks were the most advanced army in the world. Not only did they have the best soldiers, they also had the most sophisticated weaponry. They had tanks. Do you know what the tanks were of the time? War elephants. And yet, we won. I want to put that in perspective. Can you imagine if Rage decided, you know, we have a database of about 6,000 Russian Jews in New York area and across the country. Imagine if Rage decided, guys, we're done with America. We're done with this whole Donald Trump business. We're done with, uh, with uh, what's his name? <laughs> I forgot the other guy. Right? Biden. We, wa- we want to take over. Imagine if we Rage students decide to take over the United States and we wage war against the United States of America and we win. Imagine that. We just won the most impossible war in human history. And then one guy comes running out and he's like, Rabbi, my phone has been on 10% for an entire week and it still hasn't died. Do you guys get that the miracle of oil burning for eight days is absolutely insignificant in compared to the war? We have a lot of miracles in Jewish history. Candles burning for eight days is really not that exciting. Okay, the entire Greek army being wiped out by fireballs from heaven, that would be something to celebrate. But candles burning for eight days is not the significant part of the holiday. And in fact, in the prayers that we say on Hanukkah, there is hardly any mention of the candles. So why are we lighting candles for thousands of years to celebrate Hanukkah if the whole miracle is the war that we won miraculously? So let's discuss what is so bad about Greek culture that forced the rabbis to take up arms and fight an impossible battle? Why were we so threatened by Greek culture? So what do you guys know about Greek culture? What did Greek culture bring to the world that's so significant? Let's hear from a few of you guys. Feel free to shout it out. They, um, I know they wouldn't allow Jews to have circumcisions. Great. Greece was against circumcision, and we're going to explain why that is as we continue tonight. What else? What did Greece stand for that perhaps was one of the reasons why they were against circumcision? What did Greece stand for? What did they bring to the world? What was Greece famous for in human history? Democracy. Democracy, okay. Democracy is one thing they certainly did bring to the world. Maybe not exactly democracy as we have it today, but uh, what was that a branch of? What is, what, what is Greece famous for? Not just democracy. Philosophy. Ah, oh, excellent. Excellent. So Greece is famous for democracy, for philosophy. All right? Greek philosophy. What else? What else? Rationality and reason. Reason. Right? Reason, rationality, and that goes in line with Greek philosophy. What else besides philosophy did Greece bring to the world that we are still observing until today? The Olympics. The Olympics. The idea of a fit body, of exercise, of games, of sports. 
the Olympics. And what else? What's one other thing that Greece is quite famous for in history? Theater and art. That's a good one. I'm going to actually have to add that to my list. I did not include it, but it should be here. Um, Good. So let's take a look. So one is philosophy, as we mentioned. Another is the idea of the Olympics. And these two really go hand in hand with a Greek saying, uh, mensis sani corpus sano, which means a sound mind in a sound body. And the third thing that was not mentioned, which we talked about last week, something else that Greece is famous for, is the idea of Greek gods. Gods in the image of man. And I believe that these three values, and we can put art here as well, have something in common, which was the antithesis of Judaism. And I believe the common denominator between these three ideas is as as Protheseus said, man is the measure, protagonist said, man is the measure of all things. The human being, whether it's the human mind or the human intellect, is the epitome of of perfection. The human body is the epitome of beauty. The human mind is the epitome of of greatness. And there is nothing beyond the mind or the body. Man is the measure of all things to the point that the Greek gods were in the image of man. But Judaism says quite the opposite, that man is made in the image of God. Because we believe there is something beyond the body and beyond the mind. There is a, uh, a NASA scientist who I had the privilege of meeting several years ago by the name of Velvel Green. He was not religious but ended up becoming a, a Lubavitcher Chabad Hasid. And one time he was speaking in front of a group of Christian scientists about his discoveries in NASA. He was actually hired by NASA to study extraterrestrial life in the 1960s when they began launching satellites and space shuttles. And they were very nervous about bringing bacteria down to earth. So he one time was speaking in front of a group of Christian scientists. And at the end, they were passing up questions to ask him. And he looked at one question and he saw in the corner a group of nuns giggling. And the question said, what's that little beanie on top of your head? And he turned to them and said, oh, this, this is a yarmulke. He said, I wear this because as scientists, we can often believe that we know everything that human beings have the ability to understand everything. I wear this to remind me that there's always something beyond my intellect that I don't know. To remind me that there's something beyond my grasp. And that we call the soul. Judaism believes that there's something beyond the body and beyond the mind. And that is the true essence of our identity. We're going to learn more about the soul next week in detail, what it is, how to identify it. But suffice it to say that the soul is your essence. We're going to look at the root of the Hebrew word for soul, and we're going to understand something very profound about essence. Now, Hebrew language is called the holy tongue, and one of the reasons for that is because the Hebrew language is unlike any other language in the world. Every word in Hebrew has a root of two or three letters, When you understand that root, you can understand the essence of the word. 
And you can find that similar words, words that might have nothing to do with each other but share the same root, have an incredible connection that you might not have realized that's underneath the surface. So let's look at the word for soul in Hebrew. The word for soul in Hebrew is neshama. Neshama means literally the breath of life, the soul. And the root of the word neshama is two Hebrew letters, shin and mem, as we have in English, sha and ma. Those two letters represent a focus that we're going to understand and a theme throughout the entire Hanukkah story. What do those letters mean, shin and mem? Mean essence. They mean the essence. And let's see how that carries out throughout all of Judaism. Okay, so let's begin with the word Shem. Shem is really the root word that we're talking about, which means name. And according to Kabbalah, according to Jewish mysticism, your name represents your essence. If you can understand your true name, you can understand your mission in life. Your spiritual name, your Hebrew name. Hebrew names have a lot of wisdom. Your parents have a certain aspect of prophecy when they name you. If you can understand the meaning of your name, you can help to understand your essence. Then we mentioned neshama, soul. Your soul is your essence. What about Hashem? We refer to God as the name. Literally, the essence. The essence of everything. The foundation of everything. The word in Hebrew, sham, means there. Because there is your address. It's pointing you towards a destination. In fact, if you know how to say heaven in Hebrew, shamayim is the place of destination. It's the place of thereness. It's the place of essence. It's the place where everything is going, where everything comes from. It's the essence of all existence. Now, if someone hates Jews, we refer to them as an anti-Semite. Why are we called Semites? Because Jews are descended from one of the three sons of Noah, whose name was Shem. Sem in English. Because we literally are people of essence. That's what it means to be a Jew. It means you're a person whose focus point, your national identity, is focusing on what is real, what's at the, full, what's at the basis of everything. The Mishnah, oral Torah, same letters in a reverse order, which you can do in Hebrew. Mishnah means teaching. It's the foundation of learning. To learn is Mishnah. And as we talked about last week, the foundational Jewish Pledge of Allegiance, the Shema, once again, the exact same root letters. And finally, in the Hanukkah story, the Hashmonaim, which was a family of the Maccabees, as they were called, again share that exact same root. Okay, are you guys with me so far? Is everyone following? Let's go a little bit deeper. The Hanukkah story, the miracle itself, takes place with oil. How do you say oil in Hebrew? Shemin. Oil is the substance that represents essence. Oil always rises to the top. Oil burns. Oil represents wisdom and essence. It's a spiritual liquid, according to Judaism. And finally, let's go a little bit deeper. Okay, The number seven in Judaism represents nature. Seven is a number that represents nature. Seven days of the week, according to the Torah. The entire world observes a seven-day week now. Why? Because of the Torah. Seven distinct colors in the rainbow. The rainbow represents the, the spectrum, the full spectrum of our visible reality. Seven unique notes in a Western musical scale. Where did that come from? Again, 
straight out of Judaism. Seven continents, seven seas, seven orifices in the face, two eyes, two nostrils, mouth, two ears, seven main parts of the body, two limbs, two legs, two arms, torso, and head. And I like to add in seven Harry Potter books. Okay, seven represents nature. And the Greeks stood for nature. That was the Greek message in the world. Greece stood for the perfection and totality of nature. That was their obsession with art. Art for art's sake was expressing beauty. According to the Torah, Greece is descended from another one of Noah's sons, whose name was Yephus, which means beauty. Beauty and nature, the perfection of the physical world, that was what Greece stood for. Whether the mind or the body, they stood for physical, external beauty. Judaism, on the other hand, stood for the number eight. So what does the number eight mean? So if seven represents physicality and nature, eight represents that which is above nature, the supernatural. How do you say eight in Hebrew? Shemona. Again, the exact same root. Because eight is the number that is beyond nature. The world is created with the number seven. Seven represents the cube. A cube is made up of six sides, three dimensions. Six sides and the space in between is the seventh dimension. Eight is that which is beyond the physical world. That's why circumcision takes place on the eighth day. Because circumcision, the message is, is that you have to transcend your physical body. Don't let the most physical part of the most physical gender control your life. Don't think with your lower head. Think with something greater. That's the message of circumcision, that we have to perfect our physical body. And the Greeks were against circumcision. You ever notice all the Greek gods are naked? All the Greek art is naked? Michelangelo made King David... The famous statue of King David, naked, and it's quite unflattering to King David, by the way. But uh, why were they always naked? In fact, you guys, anyone here work out? I'm sure you do. Where do you work out? In a gym. What does the word gym mean in Greek? Gym means naked, because the Greeks used to work out naked, because they believed your naked body was perfect. Was perfect. The ultimate perfect specimen of human perfection was especially the male naked body. And yet Judaism, they said, who are you to tamper with perfection? To cut off a piece of the body? That's sacrilege, according to the Greeks. And yet the Jews said, no, our job is to ultimately channel the body, to connect to something deeper beyond the body. So, what was this miracle all about? So the number eight represents that which is beyond nature. The supernatural. And there's no coincidence that the number eight also means something else. What does the number eight mean? The infinite. There is no coincidence there. Eight represents the Mobius strip. It represents the infinite because that is the message of eight. That there's something beyond the physical world. That's the infinite power of the soul. And the message of the candles burning was to tell us from all the generations why we won the war. It wasn't because of our physical strength. It wasn't because of our intellect. It was because of the power of the Jewish soul. That is eternal. That can conquer every empire. 
in history. And we'll conclude with the famous game that some of us might know from childhood, dreidel. So there is nothing that is coincidental in Judaism. Everything has deep Kabbalistic wisdom. There are four letters written on the dreidel that stands for a Hebrew phrase. The nun, ne, stands for miracle. A great miracle. Gimel, gadol. A great miracle. Haya was sham, there. A great miracle took place there. Where? Some say in the land of Israel. Some say if you have a dreidel in Israel, you should put a pay there. Po, a great miracle was here, but that's incorrect. The message of the dreidel is to tell us what was that miracle? It was Sham. It was with the letters Shin and Mem, the letters that represent essence, the letters that represent spirituality. Shemin, oil, Shemona, eight, that which transcends Hashem, God, Neshama, soul. We have the ability to tap in to infinite power when we connect to that which is within us the power of spirituality within. The eternal flame of the soul burns forever. That pure jar of oil remains hidden deep within us, and nothing can ever make that impure. That is the message, my friends, of Hanukkah. So I want to conclude with the following photo. For those who haven't seen this photo, this is quite a powerful picture. This photo was taken in 1932, a few months before Hitler took power in Germany. And the woman who took this photo took it shortly before Shabbos. That's why the candles aren't lit yet. And she wrote the following message on the back of this photo. She said, Death to Judah, so says the flag. Judah will live forever, so the light answers. And that is the message of Jewish eternity. Because that menorah is still lit every single Hanukkah. Although the menorah sits in Yad Vashem, in the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem, every Hanukkah it's returned to the descendants of Rachel Posner, who continue to light it every single year. The Nazis are no longer. The Greeks are no longer here. The Spanish Inquisition, the Communists, the Soviets, the Egyptians... All of these nations have vanished, and yet the Jewish nation remains. The question I have for you, my friends, is had we been there, what side would we have been on? We don't have the word Jew stamped on our passport. Assimilation is all over. Would we be on the side of the Hellenists? The Jews have said, let's assimilate. Let's assimilate to Greek culture. Or would we be on the side that say, no, Judaism has something eternally true? Are we willing to fight against the powers that tempt us to throw away our Jewish identity? Or are we willing to take a stance to say that Judaism is my eternal essence? It's who I really am. And the question is entirely up to you, my friends, because you literally are the Jewish future. Are you an American Jew? Or are you a Jewish American? What part of your identity is going to be passed down to your kids? Is it the Russianness? Do you think your kids are going to be Russian? Probably not. Will they be American or Jewish? What's going to be first? The Jewish people is eternal. That's a promise that we have from God. The question is whether or not you and your children and great-grandchildren will be part of that eternal mission and that eternal identity. And that's a question we have to ask ourselves. If we were there... Would we stand up against the powers of assimilation to make a change, to say Judaism first? 
or would we say Greek American first? So I uh, appreciate you guys joining me. It's a little heavy, a little intense. Questions, comments? You know, I, wa- I want to just <laughs> conclude with telling you that on a light note, that the, the Maccabean Games is an Olympic, sort of Israeli Olympic game every year in Israel. And it's really ironic because the Maccabees were against the Olympics. The Maccabees stood up against Greek culture, against the value of go to the gym and perfect your body. And yet, whenever you open up a comic book or a car, you know, coloring book about the Maccabees, they make them with these huge muscles. That's absolutely the opposite of what the Maccabees stood for. They stood for what's uniquely Jewish. And that's, that's really our mission. And, and my hope and prayer is that through this experience tonight and through this experience in Rage, we can all walk up out with a deeper understanding of what it means to each and every one of us uniquely to be Jewish. And when you find out what's, what you're passionate, then you will succeed in passing that on to your children. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Oh, sorry. Can I just make a quick announcement? Yes. First of all, this is the second.